Welcome to the Fabulously Keto podcast aimed at improving health, vitality and quality of life. Eating real food in a ketogenic lifestyle. I'm Jackie Fletcher and I'm based in the UK. And I'm Louise Reynolds, an Aussie currently based in Bangkok, Thailand. Each week we will be bringing you guests who share their stories and discuss a range of topics which we hope will improve your health and well-being. Many of the guests, like us, came to Keto for Weight Loss and have stayed for their well-being, numerous health benefits and because they are living their best lives. We hope you will be inspired to incorporate these ideas into your own health journey so that you can feel better than you ever have before. Thinking about starting keto? Take a listen to episode number two, What is Keto and How to Start? Welcome to episode 103 of the Fabulously Keto podcast. And today we're interviewing Anders Merman. And I met one of his employees at the PHC conference and she approached me and she was introduced to me. I can't remember who by um, because Anders has created a breath ketone meter. And so she was telling me all about it. And I thought he would be a great guest to come on and and find out more about it. And I also met Dorian from Keto Mojo. So he will be coming on at a later point. Um, so we'll have the two the two sides of the ketone testing. <laughs> so. Oh, Jackie, that's that's so good because I think, you know, the more that we have available to us in terms of being able to measure, record our, you know, changing lifestyles, all the better. And I know that there are some people out there that love data. You know, they're the data geeks. And, like you know, Andrew. Like Andrew. <laughs> and, Andrew. And me to an extent. Yeah. Not but, Andrew. but not, well, you know, he loves, he loves information and, you know, those sorts of information systems. And that's really what, you know, being an engineer as, as Andrew is, he, he loves all that sort of, you know, data collection. And the data collection helps to inform what we're doing. And it's a really important part of our journey because we need to be able to measure the impact of these changes and as you said, you know, whether it's breath ketones as what Anders' device um, actually, you know, records or blood ketones, which is a completely separate, you know, biochemical um, component that we're, you know, most familiar with, you know, because that's really what we, we think about beta hydroxybutyrate, um, which is the blood ketone is, you know, the, the go-to. Um, but Anders in his engineering techno wizardry has um, created the ACE track. Yeah. So why don't you tell us a bit about Anders? Anders Merman is a serial entrepreneur with a master's degree in engineering physics from Uppsala University in Sweden. Having spent all his working life within the medical technology field, so in the last five years as CEO and co-founder of the M Health Company, or that's the MedTech, the MedTech health company, Diversify. Diversify is the mother company behind, as we said, the, the device, AceTrack, the portable breath analyzer that measures the fat burning rate and ketosis. Way to go. Anders has dedicated his life to building and commercializing MedTech products to combat cancer, asthma, and more. And he's from Uppsala, Sweden and all the way to Silicon Valley in California. 
So let's hear a bit more about Anders and his device. Welcome to the Fabulously Keto podcast. Anders, it's so nice to have you here today. Thank you. We normally start the podcast with where in the world are you? So I'm actually on vacation in Sweden today, in the southern part of Sweden, in a town called Båstad. But uh, typically I live and work out of Uppsala around Stockholm region in Sweden. Oh, well, when I was, I was saying just off air that I was living and working in the UK, I never got to Sweden, but that's okay. You'll still be there um, when when I come back eventually to the UK and the EU. So and it must summer be... Is, summer is best time to go to Sweden, I have to say, both in Stockholm and be. northern and southern parts, absolutely. Well, I got to, got, I did get to that region, so I did get to Oslo and to and to Tromso. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, so I, I can, yeah, in the region. So um, that's, that's as close as I got. So it's lovely. Um, I know Jackie, you met Anders at the PHC conference. Is that right? No, I met I met Sarah that works for him at the PHC. right. Yeah. Uh-huh. So one degree of separation to, to Anders. Yeah. Yeah, Sarah is our CMO. She's, you know, based out of Sweden, uh, but lives in London. So she is our also international uh, person for, for now. Yeah. Great. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got started with Diversify and what what led you to it, really? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, um, I grew up as a person interested in sports and um Pretty good health initially, um, and um, never really thought of, of working within the health region at all. I was more interested in engineering, and I studied engineering in, in university. And then, uh, as I was going to, um, I was going to do my military service in Sweden. I, I had this system in the back in the eighties in Sweden where you could refuse and instead do civil service. And then I got positioned at a clinic in Uppsala a cancer care clinic in radiation therapy. And then I realized, wow, this is interesting. Medical technology is interesting. So um, I kind of redirected the rest of my university time. And uh, ever since I worked in, in medical technology in one way or another, um, I worked 21 years in radiation therapy of cancer. I've been a lot to the UK. Never been to Australia, I have to say, in that field. I've been to New Zealand, actually, and so two systems in, in Auckland, but, uh, and a lot to the big hospitals in the UK. And I traveled the world. Um, I lived in the US for a couple of years and we're building four of the best planning systems for radiation therapy or cancer, uh, over those 21 years. And then, um, being a little bit, um, curious of life, I should say, I, I jumped chip and, and walked into pulmonology, worked with, uh, a uh, breathalyzer device that measures the level of uh, nitric oxide uh, in your breath, and that is an indicator if you have an exacerbation of um, asthma or COPD. So um, and then I kind of slowly started to learn a bit about preventive care and things like that. I have been more in specialized medicine treating people with cancer. Now I started to see the benefit and the importance of of um, monitoring chronic diseases and, and also being able to prevent them. Mm. And and so, do you did you find how was that shift? Because um, 
I tend to think that a lot of people are not really interested in prevention. And there's a lot of things that we can prevent. Absolutely. Uh, and, and that kind of leads us to where we are right now. But to answer your question, back then I had no idea. I had worked, you know, 21 years, traveled to the best hospitals in the world. And it's surprising, it's depressing even to see that the best hospitals of the world spend no percentage of their expenditure on prevention. Absolutely no. And also, if you're talking about cancer, which I've learned now, but I didn't learn in the 90s and the, in the 2000s, um, cancer is a chronic disease for many people. It should be treated as a chronic disease. It should be treated with monitoring and, and it's not a quick fix and, and it's gone. It can be, absolutely, but but the mindset has has always been, unfortunately, in the, in the Western medicine, at least, uh, to treat illnesses. Uh, and that, that's it. Uh, prevention isn't on the radar. Mm. But, is that to, but is that to do with money? Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't I know think, where Jackie was I, going. I, I, think, I, 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 I do know that in Sweden, for example, 80% of, uh, of um, all money spent uh, in healthcare is spent on chronic diseases. And 3% or, or so is spent on prevention, which is not, uh, idiotic, I have to say. So my co-founder and my wife, also, she's an economist. And, 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 you know, everyone knows this is strange. This is stupid, I have to say. Uh, but I think the resistance is in, in, in within the field of medical doctors, I have to say. The uh, field of medical doctors are generally much more conservative than the rest of the society in most countries. And secondly, they've been trained not to talk about nutrition they're not trained in that they're trained in medicine uh, yeah. and anatomy and physiology um, but they're not trained on nutrition or, or exercise or, or stress or so much I mean I'm, I'm, I'm generalizing here but 90% of the medical field uh, has not really been trained on anything else and then you stick with what you're trained I think that's uh, that's that's the biggest problem but the risk is really part of that conservatism for, for, for medicine. For, for treating sort of medical people, there's a risk in obviously um, everything that they do. So a lot of that conservatism that you've said is based on they know what they know and they know these outcomes. And for some models, you know, that's about they run a small business, so I'm going to do the thing that maximises my profits. Mm-hmm. But if I'm going to prevent disease, that's not going to make me money. No, you're right. And particularly in the countries that have that kind of system where, where doctors are making money, and they're not necessarily doing that in Scandinavia. In that sense, they're not driven by that, they're driven by, by other things. Uh, but not even there, they work on prevention. So, um, but absolutely, the, the incentives of, um, of uh, removing your own kind of customer base uh, is, is low. I have to agree with you there, absolutely. So, and and uh, with that said, I mean, I'm talking back from late 80s and uh, I've been in the business, you know, back in then, at least the Swedish healthcare system was not at all privatized and, and simply just working much better than these days. I'm, I'm not saying this in a, from a political point of view. I, I just don't see that it's just about economic incentives. Uh, it's also about uh, lack of training, uh, pride. I think things are getting much better with the current generation of doctors getting retired. Uh, I think the, the young uh, medical field is, is much more uh, uh, less biased on the fact that, come on, if you, if you, if you, if you go to a veterinary and, and your dog is sick, the first thing they'll ask is, what has the dog eaten? 
Mm. No one asks that on any clinic anywhere. Not yeah. even obesity doctors ask that. They rather say, okay, are you ready for a gastric bypass? And the world is upside down. But the ordinary people, grassroots movements, and those are the ones that we are selling today, they know more than the doctors. I'm sorry to say. But, and I say this as a, as, a, as a trained physicist here, so I'm trying to be kind of neutral in this. I believe in, in, in science, absolutely. Uh, but you also have to look at the numbers, and the un, uh, unhealth numbers are, are terrible in terms of middle-aged people and older related to nutrition. They are terrible. And have to, something has to be done. But as an engineer... You know, a science, you take a scientific approach to sort of engineer the systems. So from your perspective, um, what what does the science and the systems tell you? Well, the science on every other field, both in well, certainly physics, it's all about uh, what you can prove in numbers, um, is excellent. The science in, in cancer care, I also think it's, it's excellent, except that they're not working on prevention. But... Um, but when it comes to nutritional science, for, from a clinical perspective, it's crap. <laughs> I have to say that. It is crap, and it's been based on crap. And so the fact that these few papers that maybe once in, you know, 50 years ago could prove that, uh, that uh, saturated fats were bad for your um, health as a general statement, it's not, it's not science even. It's, it's not, it's not, you, you can't repeat the studies. You, it's not a big enough uh, number of cohorts. Uh, there's so much, it's, it's fundamentally difficult to do nutritional science and it's fundamentally expensive to do it right. You have so many free variables and people are many times doing their self assessments of what they've been eating and how they feel and things like that. So it becomes, it is hard with the nutritional science. So my view on that is that, yeah, I don't think we can trust to have a double-sided randomized study for every uh, statement on what is good food and bad food. We have to go back to something called precision medicine and saying, okay, let's look at my health numbers. Let's look at my visceral fat. Let's look at my how often I'm burning fat. (laughs) Let's look at my... HOMA ER, which is a number that is coming from the C peptide. How much uh, base insulin do I have? And there's a lot of different things that we can measure today, but people never, not really doing it. The medical doctors are not coordinating those measurements because they haven't been taught. Mm. So that was a long rant on that. But back to the science part, I, I just, I do believe you need to look at science, but another part of science is, is epidemiology. Look at the numbers. Look at the, Year 2000, we had 150 uh, million diabetics on the planet. Now we have 460. It's tripled over 20 years. It's um, it's it's uh, it's terrible. Yeah, absolutely. So carry on with your story about how you got to diversify. Yeah. Okay. So I um, I jumped around a little bit. I have been commuting to Stockholm, which is not a long commute, but it's kind of stressful for 11 years. So I started to work with startup companies again in Uppsala region. I started with another one in, in pharmacology and another one in addiction care um, around alcoholism. Uh, and then that kind of got me started and I got to meet early stage investors and you know, all those things you need to, to, to have a startup going. And uh, the stars aligned, as you say. And then um, in 2017, I quit my 
regular job at the time. And, and started working as a startup um, CEO uh, and building our first product. And uh, the, we, we started the company back in 2017 based on three different product ideas. That's why we're called Diversify, because we think that it's about time to diversify the, the ecosystem within uh, mobile health. Uh, simply measuring new type of biomarkers that not really been do, been done, bringing my, my physics into it. Uh, and by now we only realized one of them, but those three products in the beginning was related to, um, to metabolism, to, in this case, um, ketosis. Um, and the other one, the second product was related. Just here, there was a slight dropout in the recording. So we've missed a section of what Anders said. Um, those two are still on the back burner here in the company. So we started working with, uh, with Acetrack, our first product. Uh, um, and we kind of pivoted it around that or, or been expanding around that breathalyzer uh, over these first five years. But, uh, you know, there's a number of things to do, do to answer on why you start a company when you're almost 50. Uh, I guess I was ready for it. Uh, I wish I had done it earlier. It's 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 uh, it's stressful, absolutely, in terms of the anxiety you feel when the money running out of the bank and and you have employees and you have investors that you take care of and and all of that. But but the reward is so much higher because when yeah. you achieve something, you're working on your own dream and not on some your boss's dream. So uh, I, I I do think for now at least it's been the best thing I've done. Excellent. So you're in the market of the, the consumer health, you know, yep. this is the, the personal monitoring, but you're really obviously targeting people that are quite well educated. How do you how do you tap into that market where you're assuming that the consumers have a critical awareness of, you know, the need to monitor their health? And here's a product that's going to help you. How do you put the two together? That's a great question. That has been the trick. And when we started five years ago, I hadn't thought that we at some point, for example, would acquire an education company, which we did last year. Uh, so, so there's a number of docs, and I'm not even uh, trying to suggest right now in 2022 that we're even, we're closer, absolutely, but to have the full package for how we would reach and, and uh, have this delivered to the people that need it both for diagnosing or for, for prevention, but primarily for monitoring existing chronic diseases. Uh, yeah, there's a lot, to, a lot of things to be done uh, more, but, but just to answer your question, we can't just sell an ace track to, to, to the man or woman on the street. They wouldn't understand anything to say. And it's not that because it's difficult. It's just because the people haven't been taught anything of what's good for them and, and what's typically bad for them. Mm. Of, uh, of nutrition uh, and not only what you eat but when you eat and, and what fits your body and your uh, system and your age and uh, all of those. So, um, so the education is, is a key puzzle. I, I do think you need to add a lot more other tests that we don't have in our package now but that we recommend our, our patients, I shouldn't call them, but our users, are, we do. So, for example, right now I'm sitting in an office of a um, um, Swedish um, supplier of a, a South Korean body composition measurement device called InBody uh, that we are working with here. And it's, I've learned this morning a lot about um, body composition measurements using implants. Uh, uh, very impedance. What? 
Yeah. So impedance. So you, you stand on that one? Is like yeah. on the scales? Impedance. Yep. Yeah, that's the English word. For impedance. Thing. Yeah. You're standing on it, then yeah. you're holding your arms like this, and then uh, in you know two minutes' time, you get a full blown. Um, it's not a scan, but it's but it's it, this this is apparently the highest quality of those body scanners that exist in the world market. Um, and you get a, a very good um, measurement of not much how much fat and, and, and muscle and, and bone you have in your body, but also where it sits, how much is visceral, how much uh, is subcranial, uh, the total area of your visceral fat, for example, just pops out as a number, and you can then start comparing that with yourselves. Uh, and also the face angle, which I learned about this this morning, is that, you know, the general uh, average uh, healthiness of the border of your cells, for example. And it's not an non-invasive measurement. I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and do advertising for them, but, but just, you know, there are things out there that people are building that, that could be useful to understand your status. So, the, so their body impedance measurer scale whatever you call it mm. is that for personal use or is it more aimed at um medical Professional use, it's expensive yeah, <laughs> yeah okay. Uh, it's, it's okay in the range from uh, maybe three thousand pounds to twenty thousand pounds oh wow. yeah. no no so they're selling no. these through primary care places but also to gyms and and you know kind of high-end uh, spots and places like that so, yeah. yeah i can i can imagine that like at at my at my Virgin, you know, at the Virgin gym, they would actually, I think they've got like a, a handheld one that sort of you stood on and it, it did some sort of impedance sort of measuring. But there's some of the, the home scales have have a rough breakdown, you know, using that sort of um, impedance just for, for fat and muscle and water sort of breakdown. But it, it still gets to the fact that you're marketing, you know, you've got a product, mm-hmm. You're pitching to a consumer that has, um, as you said, they're either on 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 journey to to wellness that they have a wellness mindset. But as you said, you know, diabetes has tripled over twenty years. How are you going to get it to them? To the people that you know, not the not the worried well, <laughs> um, but really the people that you know need to be. <clears throat> Uh, also, a great Monitoring. question, and, and that's uh, we when we built Astrack, it was more or less a device that I had thought would only be sold to uh, ultra sporters and the people that are already very fit and are just very interested in, in how they um, metabolize. But that's not our main market anymore. It, it is our main market is middle aged people. Eighty percent of the apps are sold uh, to that, and eighty percent of those are women. Uh, and we are reaching them. This is a group that very few is trying to advertise anything to in, in Sweden, at least. Uh, so we've been uh, selling it uh, by being part of podcasts in Sweden. Uh, we are uh, doing it through ambassadors that speak to these women that are uh, have followers uh, in there. But it's a grassroots movement too, I have to say. So, so we are really focusing on where people already have a keto interest or a low carb interest. So we're trying to find that. We're selling through um, uh, supplement suppliers within e-commerce, for example. So when you buy your MCT oil or your collagen powder or your vitamins, you also get 
an advertisement for uh, an extract uh, that you can buy. Yeah. But uh, so for now, we are not convincing the user. They are finding us, and then they say, oh, "Yeah, I don't want to do uh, blood sampling anymore. Let's have a non-invasive way of doing this." Sure. So we're selling to the early doctors uh, still to reach the big majority uh, of people that would need it. Um, I don't think we cracked that code yet, but we haven't been selling more than one and a half year either. So. Right. We just got started. And it's been a pandemic too. So it's, things are just coming out of the pandemic. People sure. realize that, um, that uh, lifestyle factors is going to uh, influence your uh, life expectancy, uh, which is, um, which is a good realization, I have to say. And then uh, we've seen increased sales just by that. Yeah. Well, I was just about to say that, um, you know, these, these middle-aged women who obviously have a health awareness or a health literacy, um, you know, using your product, they're going to live longer. So that's okay. So I'm, I'm you yeah. know, long live women. I'm, yeah. I'm all okay Absolutely. with that. <laughs> we, we need some to... men, though, Louise. We need men. We do. Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, middle-aged women, uh, you know, particularly you know, maybe I'm just that sort of a little bit past that. You know, we've been dieting. We have been dieting. We we know we've tried everything. You know, we do have that health literacy of a certain, you know, calorie restriction. But obviously, you know, we've come through the other end and have changed maybe to a low carb or 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 keto and you know, and finding your product just to to keep them accountable, to keep them on track. Is that is that some of the feedback that you've got? Yeah, absolutely. That's the main feedback of Track, our first product uh, that we're talking about right now. Uh, is that, and I would say that's the main purpose of it. it, it we've been selling to these people and also giving them educations, uh, lectures over over Zoom and Teams in these days. Um, and we've um, convinced a lot of them to do because you're right. Many of them have been doing JoJo Ben dieting all their lives. Uh, and uh, are still just going in the wrong direction and already trying to lead a healthy life, but it's details. And um, so you need to um, maybe start experimenting a little bit more with fasting. So so that's my recommendation typically if you've never been close to fasting to do um, to do a soft kind of fasting, a simulating fasting where you still eat calories but but reduce drastically reduce the number amount of um, carbs and proteins you eat. Uh, and then do that for maybe five days. That is a way to get them there. Uh, but the thing is, they never knew when they were getting there. And it's really a thin line between going into starvation and starting burning your own proteins rather than going into ketosis. So uh, what our product has shown with so many is that first time. They have, you have low values all the time. Every morning you're testing, you're testing. You maybe do a full month, not of fasting, but of doing a healthy lifestyle. And then eventually you get a very high value one morning. And that's a hallelujah moment in that sense for them. They're saying, yeah, now I'm burning fat. That's a true proof of that, which is. And what did they do last night to, to succeed with that? Well, maybe they didn't eat after 7 o'clock. Or maybe they uh, reduced the proteins or added fat or, or, you know, whatever works for you will eventually show on that device. And uh uh, I'm not allowed to say this by my marketing people, but eventually when you use the Ace track for a number of years, you can't, you don't have to use it anymore because then you learn. 
Then again, mm -hmm. your metabolism will change as you grow. So after 10 years, it might be something else that yeah. puts you into fat burning mode. So then you might pick up your edge track again. And it lasts a long time. Once you buy an edge track, it might last forever, actually. So, so, um, it's, um, um, but you're right, Luis. It's, uh, it's the, the main purpose of this one is to give you that receipt that this works for me and I'm burning fat today because I did the right things last night. Yeah. And historically, breath ketone meters haven't been very popular and there's been some that people are not very keen on them and they say that blood is the gold standard. What What's changed in the industry now that they are better or Ace Track is better? Yeah. <laughs> well, the industry has changed a little bit. If you're referring back to a number of years ago, for example, ketonics is, is one that people may have used in Europe at least. Um, and there have been other older ones too that actually was just we modified alcohol breathalyzers that have a kind of recalibrated for acetone. Um, yeah, what changed is that they have improved what we've done in our product, which is, is, is world unique. And what I learned at that company where I worked with asthma and CUPD is that we have put in a pressure sensor into the hardware. So we force the user to exhale in the same way every time you do your something. Mm. Because that's the first, first order of, of error is how you sample. If you give me any breath, alcohol breathalyzer, except the ones that the police has, I can fool them by just exhaling in a certain way. If you know how to do it, you can do it. And of course, you wouldn't want to fool yourself, but it's very easy to suddenly just exhale a little bit too hard one morning and then a little bit too weak next one. And that will be the main change in your number. That's the story of, of breathalyzer and gas measurements compared to blood sampling. But once you have that uh, accuracy and repeatability installed, in our case with the, with the pressure sensor built in, in other cases, with a similar kind of technique where you're forced to use it to do a similar procedure every time, then you have solved that. And then, of course, you need to uh, do your technical um, work, hard work, and, and do a lot of testing to see how the sensors are calibrated, uh, etc. So um, the industry today, I would say, have four uh, devices that are comparable. I would have to say that we are the most accurate and repeatable uh, of those. They're all about the same price. Two of them are only sold in the U.S. Uh, and one of them is recalibrations. And um, we uh, we sell, not in Australia yet, but uh, we sell all over Europe uh, and uh, ship to, to most parts of the world. Uh, and um, and you can try it. I mean, that's, uh, that's what I would say. Uh, I mean, it, it is true that the gold standard would still be to measure blood ketones uh, through blood sampling. But uh, uh, we think that over time, uh, uh, having a non-invasive device that doesn't cost you more per test at all uh, would uh, be a better choice. Mm. That's what, what we're aiming for. But we're testing two different things. So with mm -hmm. blood, we're, we're, it's the beta-hydroxybutyrate, but with the breath, it's acetone. But we're, you know, it's it's same, same, but different, but can you give us the the science behind your sort of you know tell it describing yep. you know the BHB is one thing but acetone you know reads this you know is a different thing in terms of the fat oxidation cycles? Yes, I love to. Um, so I'm sure your uh, listeners are well aware of that most of the time 
we are not in ketosis at all. So most of the time, human beings on a normal diet with carbs, fat, and proteins will uh, burn the, the glucose and the, and the carbs uh, directly in, in your brain cells and muscle cells by use of insulin. Uh, and then we will also burn a little bit of the fat, dietary fat we've eaten through direct burning in your muscle cells. Typically, your heart muscles is keen on using uh, fat directly from the blood. Uh, that also needs actually uh, some um, transport protein called albumin, but that's a side story. So if you do everything right, you reduce your carbs and maybe do some fasting and have a long, um, short eating windows and all of that, uh, you can eventually get to keto, ketogenesis or ketosis. And that's a process where the liver is breaking down your fatty acids from your bloodstream. Uh, so the brain at some point saying, look, we don't seem to have much carbs. Mm, we don't seem to have much protein that we convert to carbs either. Maybe we should start using our energy resources in terms of fats. So to tell the fat cells to release fatty acids that goes into bloodstream, it doesn't want to have high blood fats. So that a solution to that is the liver starts breaking down the, the fatty acids. And those are broken down into three molecules. One is one that you mentioned, the first one, and the primary one, which is the fuel for the brain and the, and the muscle cells, is called beta-hydroxobutyrate, shortened BHB, or just blood ketones. The other one is acetoacetate, uh, which is commuting, I would say, and related close to BHB. And the third one is acetone. And funny enough, there's three different ways to measure these three. So the BHB is measured through blood sampling. Uh, pretty much as testing your blood glucose, but instead with BHP. Acetoacetate can be tested with the urine uh, strips, which is um, which is certainly not invasive in the sense that you need to prick your finger, but it is also very inaccurate in terms of where uh, your concentration of the urine, and it's also kind of a, a lackness test of, of sorts. And then the third one is acetone. Acetone isn't used for anything else in your body. It's a free radical gas. If you ever smelled on a, on a nail polish uh, remover mm. bottle, you can feel how sticky it is and how uh, how volatile it is. So it's a highly volatile gas, and it one of these acetone molecules is released for every fatty acid that is broken down by the liver, and it sets out in the bloodstream, and then it kind of flows around in the bloodstream until it's ventilated out through your lungs. Uh, and we don't know the half life of that, but we, uh, I personally suspect it's about half an hour, maybe. So, um, 10 minutes after you've been doing the ketosis in the liver, there will be acetone oozing out of your lungs. And that's what we detect. And the other breathalyzers detect too, those, at least of those that are working on acetone. Uh, and we're measuring that in parts per million and give you a number. On that, so so to um, go back and saying how does this change? Well, this acetone goes up and down a lot during the day. Uh, in my case, personally, I when I'm in ketosis, I have highest values in the morning, which tends to prove that I actually burning fat the last few hours, or I'm processing fat, or refining fat. I would say the refinery, which is the liver, is working uh, my last few hours before I wake up. Because then it's calm, there's no cortisol levels, there's no adrenaline, there's no dopamine, there's nothing going on in the body. So the liver can really work on you know, these things to prepare the day. So fill the bloodstream with BHP, but also with acetone. 
So I have highest numbers when I wake up. And then during the day, they are low, and then they go up in the evening. This is very common procedure for anyone who at all is in ketosis, which is middle-aged now. Younger people, it's more often the opposite, where you have low values in the morning, low during the day, and they high in the evening. But um, to, to put it this way, if you never have high values, you're not burning fat. That's just a fact. While on BHB levels, they go up slowly. The more you burn, the more the BHB will be put out into the blood. And then, of course, it's also reduced by what you consume. So the, what the brain and the muscle cells consume. So, so, so to, to compare to your car, measuring on acetone is comparing on the fumes of the engine. When you're an uphill, you will have more fumes. And when you're downhill, you have no fumes. And it will go up and down. While measuring BHB is like checking how much you have in your tank. Hmm. Um, so interestingly, my I'm just looking because I've got the ACE track. Hmm? And I have moved. No, actually, it's higher in the morning. Um, so I was first doing it first thing in the morning. Mm-hmm. And and this is in millimoles. I've got it measured. Should I change it to? No, you can talk millimoles. Fine. So um, I've, I've got all. Of, so millimoles. It it's sort of zero point five six three five six mm-hmm. like that. Um, then it drops as we get nearer to lunchtime, but before lunch. Mm-hmm. And then I find that if I take it just before bed. So it's about three to four hours after eating. They're my highest readings. Yeah. So that's that's the case it, for, for almost anyone I've ever seen. Our over 3,000 users now, it's either in the evening before you go to bed or uh, right after you wake up. But I would have... Uh, and then probably high, even highest. You know, if you do this something in the middle of the night, it would maybe be highest in the middle of the night. Who knows? Ooh, but it's almost that. never ever in the middle of the day because that makes sense. That's how, If you study how ketosis in the liver works... The liver have a lot of other things to do, uh, and your hormone system is full of other things. Uh, and, and the ketosis is completely dominated by hormones. If you have any kind of insulin or, um, levels high, you go out of ketosis. If you have cortisol levels, you go out of ketosis. This process and this uh, refining of, of the raw material that the liver is doing is, is, is a low priority um, process that, um, that um, we see when and when when it's on and when it's off, which of course doesn't make sense. Overall, you would like to see that you have a lot of BHB too. So my recommendation to people that are really into this now in the beginning is to to use both for for a few months, and then uh, over time, uh, I mo- at least our users that have had it more than one year now are all happy with not doing any blood or something at all, actually. Yeah, interesting because I find that quite often the ACE track will give me higher ketone levels than the um, BHB. So yeah. the blood, yeah, and that's because it goes up and down, fluctuates as I explained. Uh, so if you would uh, integrate over time your low and high values, you will over time actually reflect the the BHB values. Yeah, but I do them it's at the same. Really, two different uh, two different uh, units of measure. I have to say. The parts per million is just something very different. Uh, and acetone is another molecule than the BHB. So, yeah. It, it, we, we, uh, this is one of my speaking to the singing to the choir here. I, um, I do have this difficulty to explain to people that have been doing uh, millimoles per liter of, of 
latitudes for a long time to explain them. But in Sweden, we've been able to explain them. And now the best, you know, highest advanced and more knowledgeable key persons in Sweden are all using extract because it, it, once you've understood it, uh, it, it actually co coordinates well with how your BHB values are. are. If you have, if you, for, you can put it this way. They both prove the presence of ketosis. If you never have high value in extract, you're never in ketosis. If you never have a BHD in your blood, you're not in ketosis. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's, that's the good thing with both of them. And then over time, it, it proves um, a little bit different things. Um, but for me, uh, and I'm very biased, of course, uh, it gives me more detailed knowledge as I said earlier, oh, if my morning values will tell me what was bad and good for me last night. And me personally, I've, I've lost, uh, maybe 15 pounds, I would say, over the last winter here without practicing less than ever, uh, but just eating in different habits. So I, I, have, I stopped eating breakfast. And secondly, um, I stopped eating anything after seven. Except when I was in Spain two weeks ago, and the restaurant doesn't open until nine, but that's a different. <laughs> and I slept longer too. Yeah. So when are good times to test? Well, the good time to test with Astrac is certainly in the morning. The first thing you do in when you wake up, before coffee or a toothbrush or anything, just when you would properly do. You know, I'm not going to do any promotion for bathroom scales, but at the same time as you do the first things as you go up. That's the most important measurement. The second is as just the same uh, before you brush your teeth again, uh, just as you are about to go to bed. And then I would typically do then before meals, so before lunch and before dinner. Uh, to begin with, I would do those four. Okay. So, Jackie, how easy is it to use? Like you have to take a big deep breath and obviously with the pressure sensor you need to do that or it's not? No, it's quite it's really, a really easy. It takes mm. so sometimes. So you have to wait for the ACE track to warm up. So you open the app. Uh, you say analyze breath. You, your meter is on. It takes sometimes it's quite quick, as in 45 seconds to warm up. And sometimes it's longer. I don't mm. know what that difference is. And then you just blow really simple. And the meet and the app will tell you whether you're in the band of good pressure yeah and and the more you're in that band the quicker it is so if you blow too hard or too soft it will it will show out of range and then you blow in it so it's very very simple really simple that's that was the problem with the the ketonics right so it, we you had to plug it into the computer um you know the interface was really clunky you had to sort of you know like you had to draw deep from the bottom of your lungs and you had to keep blowing it was it was hard it was it was hard work no you know and I I tried to give it a go like I it was expensive you know the the usability and the interface it just was it was not not a good good device at all so oh sorry it wasn't good for me you know, I like the instantaneousness of, of the blood ketone. Um, but it sounds like, you know, you've said it's on the app. It's easy. It, the readability, the interface is, is quick, you know, and, and once, specificity. And once you stop breathing, it's just 
I don't know, maybe 15, 20 seconds for it to give you the result. And it's easy. And you can you can put labels on. So where I've done blood ketone testing at the same time, I've been able to put that in. I've put how many hours fasting I've been. So all that you can add it. So if you're looking back, you can see what, what was going on at the time. And so we're does expanding it, that interface. Yeah, sorry, Liz. Yeah, yeah. So expanding that interface because obviously um, if you like data, um, I'm sort of thinking about my uh, about Andrew, my my husband, he loves data. And, you know, it's about the then the integration. So to be able to integrate the data that you're collecting from your app into, you know, syncing across to other health apps. Yeah. Uh, it's a printer starting behind me right now. Anyway, <laughs> so to uh, give you some um, facts on that, you're totally right. I'm not going to sit here and um, speak bad about my competitors, but, uh, but what we have been focusing on is, uh, is uh, to uh, try to sample from the bottom of the lungs without you know, doing it too difficult. So do not inhale, and then you just do your tidal and breathing as typical, and then once you've learned it, maybe one or two times, then from all the other times after that, the, the, your breathing procedure will be very easy to nail. And, and the same pressure over six seconds will sample from the same manner, the same way. And then uh, and from the t- bottom of your line, you don't want to do a huge in- inhalation beforehand because that's air that doesn't have acetone. You can be sure of that. So then you need to exhale all that before the acetone actually comes. So it's, it's uh, you get the, the you get that uh, I'm sure. Secondly, um, yeah, the product and the software we've been building has been really a minimum viable product, as you say, in the startup world, in the sense that if you do the job of doing the measurement and storing them in the cloud, and we do that, of course. Uh, but we are um, actually coming with a brand new version, HTRAC 2.0 beta. I've seen it. Uh, it will be launched to selected users now very soon. Um, and then, of course, on a general um, uh, launch later in the fall. Um, and it will replace the procedure completely. It will uh, improve the warm-up time. And it will be a background process. You can do other things meanwhile. And we'll start adding a lot more other data. You can put in your blood glucose, for example. You can put in your weight. You can put in your waist measurement. A number of other data that we will also start doing there. And then, of course, link it to our education platform so you can get over in a very easy way to our uh, new um, education uh, platform called Health Club with a Q. But we'll come back to that. But with a number of different uh, software and and um, subscription products that we are launching this fall. But for now, I'm glad to hear that you find it easy to use. Uh, uh, we've always been uh, spending a lot more money on our software than on the hardware. But I do think if we look at all our competitors, none of them are from a big medical company. None of them are more than one product company. And uh, we were we, we started with one product, but we're from the outside, a multi-product company. We're focused on the entire field of public health. So we're not just um, doing one gadget and trying to sell it to as many as they can. Many of our competitors are doing that. And that's funny with the, with the consumer health business uh, and the home monitoring business. It's, it's strange that none of the big players in, um, in medtech, I, I know them because I worked many, many years with Philips and Siemens and Medtronic and all those big ones, is doing it. And that's because maybe they are focusing on selling to hospitals. But, but then why isn't 
why isn't the big tech companies doing anything or the pharma companies doing anything? Uh, it's, it's a mystery. There's a lot of big companies out there that have a lot of money. They realize this is a big market and it's all down to startups right now. It's funny that that's where it is. But it's interesting because Abbott's is into obviously monitoring and yep. the the other there's you know a couple of obviously other um, LifeSmart is into into that you know there's there's lots yeah, of other literature as you said glucose absolutely so for yeah. diabetics it's been always been great I, I usually in the pitching I've been doing for investors five years ago it, it's the monitoring for diabetics is great the home monitoring. But for all the other chronic diseases, it's nothing. It's, then it's down to counting steps and having a bathroom scale and maybe a Bluetooth-connected uh, um, uh, blood pressure monitor. But mm. there's very there's so much more you can measure that hasn't been built into affordable products. That's just where we are. You have to trust me on that one. I study that this field every day, and it's uh, surprising that 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 hasn't grown. I would ask you, why wouldn't this be bigger in England or in the UK? I think because we've got a national health service mm-hmm. and people are used to everything for free and therefore they don't want to spend money on their health. They yeah. just want to um, deal with it when they're sick. Mm. Which is part of the model, right? So that's the sick care model. And I think the other thing that's really, you know, when you're investing in health and if you're, as you said, you're investing in prevention. And I also think it gets to the fact that you've got um that critical consumer so the you need to have a certain health awareness or health literacy in order to know well yeah i need to monitor these particular metrics so jackie you know jackie's got the aura ring so that's obviously that's pitched at a different market so differently in the us you know that's Mm -hmm. a sort of the savvy um early adopter sort of people that are obviously health literate, that are health aware, you know, and obviously influencers, there's certain influencer people that obviously have that sort of technology. So Peter Atier is obviously invested in that. So you can see the picture of the the person that will be, you know, buying products that monitor health. Yeah, and it, it is recent and I have to, almost everyone except me has order rings in my company. Uh, uh, so we're very inspired of them. It's a Finnish company and... Um, as a matter of fact, I got that in an investment pitch just in the other month is that we were called, well, you guys are the aura ring of metabolism. And that was a really nice uh, word. So yeah, absolutely. I, I do think that things may actually be changing now and that we are also having it easier to find investors also right now because people are starting to realize this is, but, but yeah, I still do think it's strange that none of the big ones have been testing it, been a little bit more. I mean, Apple or Google or someone of them could have been a little bit more aggressive in going to breathalyzers. But I'm glad they didn't. But, but <laughs> it's interesting because why not Steve Jobs? I mean, you know, he died yeah. of pancreatic cancer. You would think that, you know, here is a health, you know, person who yeah. was obviously, you know, acutely aware of health and apparently he was juicing and cleansing and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, he's right he's on interested in things. alternative uh, methods, absolutely. Yeah, you're right. Sure. But but the other thing that I'm also thinking, trying to put together for your user, so the people that are going to be using it, need to be in that sort of model, you know, where they've been pre-contemplative, contemplative, and now, you know, you want to be capturing them in action and reinforcing that with the with the information that you're collecting. So yeah. the pre-contemplative person, you know, might 
not be in that market. It's the, it's the contemplation and the acting people that are, that's your segment there. Yeah, that is our segment there. And uh, that's um, well put, I have to say. It's something that we actually are doing here in Sweden now. We haven't expanded that out of Sweden yet, but, but connecting, uh, getting people into our platform and our community, not necessarily having an Easter egg even, and then eventually they would buy one or not. But then they would maybe consume some of our other services around education programs or, or uh, you know, recipes. And we have all those other things also that many of them have uh, have uh, more or less for free. So, you know, there are diet doctor out there. There's uh, there's uh, life sum out there. There's a number of other people that are not necessarily at all a competitor to us, but uh, we are, you know, talking to these people and then so, seeing how we, in like, a, like a whole package out there could be mm. maybe the solution for, for the future. So why don't you sort of, um, that's a good, a good segue to the education sort of platform, because obviously, you know, part of what Diet Doctor offers is that sort of, you know, um, try videos, education, community, that sort of stuff. So how is that going to, how are you distinguishing yourself from, from um, Andreas? Diet Doctor, yeah, Diet Doctor, uh, in my view, is more uh, yeah, some education, absolutely, but they're more focused on a program where you pick it and it runs for a month, you have the recipes, you have that part. We are actually not starting in that end. We, we do have two products for now, and we're adding a lot more this summer, um, but two courses that you can buy here in Sweden. This has also been translated in English, by the way, but for now it's in Swedish. Uh, so it's one called Reset uh, Protocol. It's, it's how you um, we teach you to do simulated fasting, get the benefits of fasting without fasting, as we say, over five days. You can do it jointly in a group and you know share your recipes and your dishes and, and how you feel. But teach middle-aged people to just fast uh, and get through those hard days uh, and then get the benefit in the end. And then the longer course is called the Blood Sugar Challenge, where which is a program that runs over six weeks, which we are mainly now selling to companies and the HR departments, companies that want to give their employees better health uh, instead of giving them a gym card. In Sweden, we have this... Um, uh, this uh, nationalized uh, tax deductible program of, uh, of you know, health initiatives at work basis. So instead of spending it on a gym card, which people typically do, or, you know, do some yoga, uh, you can buy this course instead and have it part, as part of your, um, as your benefit of your, of your, of your uh, employment. So uh, the blood sugar challenge is where there we measure their their body composition with this body composition measurement. We do a, an extensive blood sampling test where we take their fasting sugar, but also fasting insulin and a number of other values. And then we give them an education every week. And then they, uh, of course, a general program to follow in terms of food. And then uh, we test them again and do the final education after six weeks. And then see it's all related. It's all targeted for pre-diabetes uh, candidates, so to, that are, are you know in have six millimoles per liter in blood sugar, and then see them have four point two after six weeks. It's, it's, it's a nice thing to, to really address their insulin resistance. Mm, sure. With the reset, um, with the fasting, um, the first program mm. is that for people that might be new to say, you know, 
changing their... The way we, we find in our usage in Sweden is that we start with giving them free lessons, free, free lectures, webinars. We have had thousands each time over Zoom. Uh, during the spring, we have one now the 18th, August 18th, for any of those listening from Sweden. Uh, so that's the free webinar. We teach them about the benefit of actually being taught more, as you say, the, the health uh, literacy. Uh, and, 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 you know, fair amount of those have gone on then to buy the right. reset fasting course. Uh, and you can do that either in your own tempo, uh, online on yourself, or you can do it in a group. Anyway, and then uh, the, and then again, maybe 10 to 20% convert into the next product. And then eventually they will buy an A-Strike. So it's, it's a funnel of, of nice. people, uh, that would, um, would um, take on our services, but uh, also, of course, getting to a better health literacy. And that's the key. Mm. So-, so that's where we are. And we are... Um, no, but on that side, so we're working uh, uh, with more uh, services related to educations around other uh, other chronic diseases. I, my our dream and our ambition is to have a, a, an education for all many of many chronic diseases. Uh, there's a number of benefits, as we know, that are not related to over overweight or obesity or or, or insulin which still benefits from going low-carb. And there's a number of neurodegenerative um, uh, situations like Alzheimer's and, and uh, Parkinson, but also uh, bipolar disease and, uh, and, and depression and a number of other um, ne- neurological uh, conditions are benefiting and having scientists out there that want us, actually here in Sweden, us uh, to educate these groups as well on the benefit of going low-carb. Yeah. So we have a number of other tracks uh, going on uh, in terms of um, that is not at all related to overweight, which is so interesting. I, I had never thought when we started building Extract that digging into how much damage bad nutrition are doing to our bodies, uh, I had no idea. But there's, there's a lot out there to be done. Yeah. Well, I think that in the UK, for example, the six or seven biggest killers that people die of every year are all metabolic diseases so you've got cardiovascular disease um um, coronary heart disease strokes parkinson's alzheimer's uh, type 2 diabetes cancers we know many cancers are metabolic diseases so they're the biggest killers we we should be dealing with them now we should be taking that into our own hands and saying i have to look after myself because no one else is going to do it for you. No. And, and How that, are you going to really do that? Healthcare is the same as in, in, in the UK. We're also, now the Swedes are more, I would say, more um, um, tech savvy in general and more, uh, I guess, uh, we're less spoiled than the British NHS um, paradigm, I would say. so. But, but we still do have the same thing that, that in general people think that they pay so much in tax that this should be included. But but there has been a change over these five years that I worked with it that people are realizing, well, I don't need to buy another bigger flat TV or, uh, you know, maybe you, I should spend a few pounds or crowns on, on my health instead. So that is changing. But again, it can't be too expensive. Then it won't work. And, and we are certainly trying to find other ways of reaching them and having someone else pay either insurance companies or the employer or, or others, or at least share the price of this 
to make it close. Yeah. So, and that's an interesting point because it's about that price point. So that's obviously Jackie's example with the with the UK is obviously, you know, if the price, you know, it being subsidised. So all, a lot of the health services, you know, pharmaceuticals, health equipment is would be mainly be um, issued, funded by by the NHS. If you, if I'm going to have to have a copay, you know, through insurance, I, I get that. Um, but if I have to, you know, buy it, um, not subsidised, then the price, your price point has to be, you know, reasonably yeah. affordable. And it is a barrier for for everyone else in this field. It's a barrier that people are not taught to pay for for their own health, except in the United States, of course, where where it's always been doing that. Yeah, yeah, and and, I mean they do have obviously insurance schemes, you know, with with certain amounts of deductibles and copays and those sorts of things. So they're obviously a lot more used to you know not having universal health care like even Australia, Canada, um, UK this sort of thing so yeah i think it's it's it but the paradigm is investing in your health you know that's that's the thing the Mm -hmm. the responsibility is back on the being the critical consumer yeah it is so when and yeah like you mentioned also the european union in the european union sorry about that but uh, we do have a program right now going on and i'm part of a program on the european union level right now looking into something called prescribed devices so that you could actually get also devices like ours and others devices uh, prescribed to your home just like you have prescribed drugs. Uh, that's not been really flying. They started out in Germany and they have an interesting program there called Tiga. Uh, but now I'm part of a program where we're going to try to do this more aggressively in, in France and Spain and Portugal as well. So uh, uh, that's another avenue to have this reach uh, but again, it's EU, it will take a while. Yes. But that's great because investing now to avoid more costs later on must be a good way for governments to go. It must be, mustn't it? And I, we are, I'm seeing some good signs that I didn't see a few years ago. So let's, uh, let's be positive about that. And in Australia, we have to talk about that. I mean, I've heard, and I've never been there, but I've heard that the, the low carb movement is, is 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 among the biggest ones in Australia. And secondly, that uh, that Australians are healthier than, than anyone else. Is that true? No, I, I I mean we still obviously have um, the top sort of cancers. Obviously, there's you know for women, you know breast cancer, prostate cancer, bowel cancers are mm-hmm. some of the biggest obviously metabolic diseases. So diabetes, um, certainly. They're, they're targeting a lot of the programs at overweight children, you know, to prevent that sort of, you know, obese adults. So um, those sorts of things by increasing, you think, you know, through physical activity and nutrition. Um, cardiovascular disease, as Jackie sort of said, you know, in terms of, you know, heart and stroke, uh, you know, some of the biggest biggest killers as well. So, but certainly um, the effects of, of metabolic syndrome. So, yeah, obesity is still a problem. In, in Australia, and that's obviously because of the, you know, the, the ultra-processed foods. No. The movement, low-carb movement, is is very much, you know, we have some very active campaigners, um, you know, Gary Fetke, Peter Bruckner, 
um, you know, a lot of the little GPs, so the primary care providers, are getting on board and starting oh. up their own little groups as well. So targeting their their health services towards that and incorporating allied health professionals such as um, dietitians. Mm-hmm. So that's really good. Um, even exercise like physiologists to be included in the allied health. So that's that's really good. Yeah, you know, there's a slow, as you said, that grass move, you know, that grassroots movement. So mm. um, which is really good. And being such a big country, um, physically big, um, geographically big. So yeah, each state, you know, has has its own little community. So, you know, meetup groups and um the groundswell where we can sort of support each other. Mm. Well, you're very welcome to come to Australia. I mean, you've been to our neighbour. You've yeah. been to New Zealand. That's a long way from from Sweden, and you didn't pop in. <laughs> I will, and I will actually ask for your some of these names actually separately later on because we have through a program with uh, with um, with some uh, governmental money here starting to uh, make a business analysis for a number of. Um, First of all, making business analysis why we're not selling better in the UK, but maybe Jack has already answered that. It's in its face fault. But no, we will look at uh, be more aggressive into the English-speaking markets uh, this fall, and then we included Australia and New Zealand and Canada in that. Yeah. Deliberately waiting a little bit with the United States, but um, I think yeah. those would be uh, uh, good targets in terms of uh, their uh, uh, obesity numbers, but also in terms of um, awareness around uh, uh, mobile phones and things like that that needs to be in place to use this product. Mm. Yeah. And South Definitely. Korea, actually talked yeah. about South Korea this morning, where this machine, that uh, this in-body that I'm, I'm sitting in the offices of now, this is South Korean, and, and then I learned that South Korea is really interested in, uh, in health measurements in general, and they're certainly good at mobile phones. So yeah. That could be of interest for us as well. So Tell us about how your diet has changed over the years since you started Diversify because you're you're slim and you said you were very active, sporty as when you were younger. I'm guessing you didn't have any health issues. So what what's happened over time? Yeah, I would have had health issues if I hadn't started with this, I'm sure. Um, and I, you're right, I was practicing and doing... Um, Warriors sports, um, and also just out running a lot, uh, over my entire life until, uh, until recently when I actually has uh, decreased it a little bit, just out of time. Uh, but even so, I maybe exercised every day, maybe six, seven times passes uh, per week, and I still gained weight, you know, around my belly, fat around my belly, and about a, two pounds per year it's not very much but i'm not also never been a person that has gone very much up and down in weight either so eventually i i was 10 kilos 20 pounds overweight uh about three years ago and then i started this project and then i learned about it and i've been fine-tuning it i've been never gaining weight since and i lost all those 10 by the way but um the, the key to it i think has been for my eating window and not getting insulin uh, uh, peaks. Just I, I can. My, my regular days, I wake up, I drink uh, fat coffee or bulletproof coffee. And my coffee is with cream, really, 
cow cream and uh, I consume one liter of cream per week just by drinking it through coffee. Uh, and then um, I don't eat any other breakfast. I have collagen powder in it as well. And then um, I eat lunch maybe at one o'clock and then a low carb lunch always. And then for dinner, I can eat more freely and I try to eat it before seven uh, or definitely before eight. And then it, back in the day, after my exercises, typically in the evening, I was playing a, 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 a team sports called doorball. Uh, and then those were always late. And I came home and then I had, you know, sandwiches with cheese and then drinking chocolate milk, you know, all the way up to 45 years of age. And, you know, with the, do you know what happens when you do that? You spike your insulin the first thing as you go to bed. Of course. And then it will of work course. on all those glucose and the insulin will go down and then it will have transferred all of those. The insulin has been so high during night that it has depleted my blood sugar. So I wake up with low blood sugar. Mm. And then you start eating breakfast. And then I was commuting to Stockholm, so I jump on train, I drink a latte, and I eat the chocolate croissant. And then uh, you spike your insulin again, and then uh, you get to maybe 11.30, I'm really hungry for lunch, or maybe sushi or something ricey for lunch, typically. And then I came home, I cooked a pasta dinner for my kids, and then uh, so my kids are grown up now as well. So, uh, you know, that's how life was turning, and that's not a healthy lifestyle. And I was never in ketosis, and never going back, so I'm sure. Uh, it's just, it's just, it, it, this is the message to all of us is that we're not evolutionary built to have so much glucose and, uh, and so much, um, insulin, constant insulin. We're not also not built of eating breakfast. That's my, my big um, mission in life. I, I've eaten my last breakfast. So, and then also um, get along fasting window. This is no surprise to, to anyone, but, but to me, it's been, um, great because i was a slave for hunger all those years but i'm not anymore i'm, I'm when the few times i'm getting hungry i'm getting to the real hunger and then then my body really says well you should probably eat now and then i eat yeah Excellent. and then i eat less uh, you know sizes of my dishes as well because i'm 54 my metabolism is lower and i'm not exercising as much anymore either so but my body like any wild animal they don't get fat because they adjust their intake to their uh, to their spending. Yeah. So do you still exercise in the evening and just do you do anything in the evening still in terms? Yeah, of I still exercise. It's not zero, but maybe it's two three times a week rather than six seven. So that's just the, the, the difference. Uh, but to me, exercise is also very important. But it's not about metabolism, and I think that goes for many middle aged people. It's not, it's not as Robert Lustig says, the great American author and endocrinologist, he said, you can't outrun a bad diet. So first of all, you need to get a good diet. Totally. But I've always had a good diet in the sense that it's always been cooked food. I've never been a hard, you know, very much sugar or, or very much fast food, really. Uh, but uh, it hasn't been the right type of food. And it has been too often. I've been eating too often. You need to get these, you need to get down your insulin mass more. Yeah, but it but it sounded like I mean you, there you were you're on the train and you've got your you've got your croissant you've also then you've come home for pasta that doesn't sound typically Scandinavian in terms of you know oily fish or you know I mean I know that it's not like potatoes but it's it wasn't 
No, you're right. I mean, that's probably, I, Scandinavia, certainly Sweden has changed a lot compared to uh, the 90s only. So Sweden's, Swedish eating habits has unfortunately become a mixture of all the other countries. Uh, very few sure. uh, middle-aged people and younger are, are eating the typical Swedish food anymore. It's, uh, mm-hmm. And I, I grew up in the <clears throat> 70s and 80s, and at least from the 80s and onwards, I've eaten pasta every day. So, so, you know, um, pasta bolognese is, I guess, the most Swedish dish you can find these days. <laughs> I had that. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but, you know, there's something <laughs> that, you know, bless bless the EU for that sort of, you know, that melting pot of, um, you know, of, of that. But, you know, I, I, it's, it's easy. I know I'm a pasta. We, uh, we eat the Swedish food at our uh, at our. Um, and Christmas and midsummer, Christmas. And then we eat the herring and the potatoes and, the, and those things. But mm. most people don't eat that uh, during a regular month. Every day. Okay. So. All right. But and maybe then, on, know, the, we have on the all the restaurants, we have the pizzas and the burgers and, and all of those things that you have too. So it's yeah. not, we're not mm. that, that different. And I guess we are in generally have been. Um, I wasn't taught uh, by my parents or anywhere else either that uh, there is so much more. Um, Variation to be done in the kitchen around warriors um, meats and warriors fish and, and certainly warriors produce. Uh, you know, all those things that grow uh, over over the ground uh, that you typically do that doesn't have that much starch. I had no idea that that, that was so um, easily available in Sweden and that you could cook really great dishes with low carb. That's uh, nice, but I didn't know, and I'm sure most people in Sweden don't know that that's not that difficult. Mm. So is there anything, Anders, that we haven't covered that you wanted to mention? I'd like to mention our next breathalyzer product. Uh, oh. Yes, you've heard it. It's called Abdomatic. We just launched it and we're building the first prototype. Abdomatic will measure the level of methane and hydrogen and uh, maybe one more molecule in parts per million as well. And if you have methane and hydrogen in your breath, um, you that's an indicator that you have a gaseous belly. Uh, and in particular, this is a way to diagnose and monitor a fast-growing disease, particularly among women, called SIBO. Have you heard of that? Yeah. SIBO. That's bacterial overgrowth. But it's also an indication if you have lactose intolerance or uh, if you have IBS. Um, so because... There's very few, this is the next few, gastrointestinal diseases, to put it short, uh, when gas is produced. Um, and if you look at it, why, for example, look at lactose intolerances. You get one blood sampling once in your life, and then you say, yeah, you can't have any more products based on this. Uh, and of course, you've maybe felt it, but you don't know how much lactose intolerance you are. And uh, are you that for that for life? No, you're not. The, the, the inner cell wall of your small intestine exchange, all those cells exchange in three months. So if you do your lifestyle changes, you can be tolerant of, of milk again. My wife is an example, which has now, she can have milk in her coffee again, uh, just because she's been going through an anti-immune protocol or, you know, paleo diet for a while. Uh, so that that probably goes for many people. So to have a measurement device, just like track where you can measure your progress of your gastrointestinal diseases, that's uh, I think that's an important step. And uh, this one, uh, at least not the one we have in Tunisia, it doesn't exist in the world market. So um, that's our next part. 
Excellent. Yeah, that's really good. And we'll fit in with with the rest of things we're doing related to to uh, to food tech and and health tech. Yeah, and I found you know I have, I'm thinking of one particular client who was lactose intolerant, but after she was low carb for a few months, she found that she could tolerate. She was back to eating cheeses, and she could tolerate it. So yeah, you see, yeah, that's mm -hmm. an anecdote that that fits with that. Um, yeah feeling that, that we have yeah well is there any value in sort of home home insulin testing home insulin testing would be the holy grail <laughs> but if the insulin is, is as with any hormone it's very volatile it, it's you need to capture it in your bloodstream uh within within you know 30 seconds so that's that's the hard thing with all the hormones is that they're so hard to find yeah. they're doing the job immediately that, that, that's and it's certainly nothing you breathe out. So when it comes to our, um, uh, breath sampling, the molecules you can capture are also called small molecules. So it could be acetone has three carbons, you know, uh, alcohol has four. You know, those can be breathed out. But as as it grows, it just doesn't go through the okay. the, the blood gas wall, as you call it in lungs. Okay. And then you can sample through uh, saliva and, and sweat and other things. Uh, there's, you know, there's a lot of possibilities that hasn't been uh, evaluated, I would say, by any commercial actor uh, worldwide yet. But uh, we're not going to do that. We'll stay with the breathalyzer for a while and maybe this uh, body composition device. But, uh, but uh, you know, I'm saying to all out there that there's a lot more biomarkers to be found non-invasively than we have on the market. Yeah. And they will evolve and they will come out. And the trick is, are they financially viable for people to invest in? Yeah. And they're accurate enough. And can you trust them? And what do they, what, what, you know, what do they bring yeah. in terms of understanding your own health? Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and that sort of gets back to that sort of model, you know, where, where that action and then sort of that reinforcement to be able to, to do that. Yeah. So I think it really, you know, has to value add to that suite of monitoring tools. But it's also about, well, so what does this mean? You know, where does that move to that individual to in terms of refining and, you know, improving and adjusting or, you know, in, in terms of the monitoring of the data? I mean, like I was saying, my husband collects a lot of data, but, you know, it's just it's about what do you do with that? And yeah. knowing what to do with that sort of, you know, information because, you know, having having great tracking data, if you're not going to do anything, then it's just you're collecting data for the purposes of data. So, Yeah. Yeah, and we are actually getting as close to being part of having HTRAC parts of the clinical studies in various fields. One one is actually a discussion in Scotland where we they're looking at where already now uh, bipolar patients are uh, going low carb and instead of doing blood sampling, they will use an use ice track, for example. That's one study. But also in epilepsy uh, here in Sweden, there's a number of projects that we are uh, talking about instead of blood sampling the kids, having them breathe in the ice track. And so they, they, will, they, will, they will take time, as it always does in, in, in science and in, in medicine, but uh, um, we're getting... Um, and those will, of course, be, be our... Um, that will be the, the, the sign that ASTRAC is also, you know, medically approved, which would be yes. better for us when, when we were there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, certainly with the NHS to be able to get the therapeutic, well, certainly the equivalent of the Therapeutic Goods Administration to approve it as a medical device, then, yeah. Yeah, then you've got the market 
you know, to, to be able to get into there. Yeah. A bit like the Freestyle Libre that's quite often that's described as a Great. medical device. For medical device. Yeah, absolutely. I worked with medical devices all my life, so, so that's just a, a matter of fact. But before we do that, we... Um, we did, we actually deliberately choose not to sell to the medical field because we knew they wouldn't, you know, like us <laughs> in terms of working with their grassroots movements and then building an affordable device rather than than a medical device. But we will do both, and that's uh, that's in the cards. But we're also been going where the markets are. We we you know, we're a startup. We need to sell products to to earn money and to uh, find new investors. Yeah, great. So how can people get in contact with you? Yeah, well, they can, they can certainly email me at anders.merman at diversify.com, but they can also go into getacetrack.com where you can read more about Acetrack and uh, how it works. And, uh, and uh, certainly if you're in Europe, you can also purchase there the product. And we're going to have a um, discount for fabulously keto listeners. If they, yes. if they put in a fabulously keto discount code, they're going to get. Forty pounds discount. Correct. So you, you go to getacetrack.com, you click uh, uh, into the Shopify part of buying an extract there, fill out your address, and then fill in the code fabulously keto. <laughs> One word. It doesn't matter if it's caps or lowercase. Excellent. So before we finish, we want you to ask you for your three top tips. My three top tips. Well, first of all, uh, make sure you uh, eat twice a day. That's it. And that's my first tip. Um, my second tip is, is to exercise and, and, uh, and to exercise. And my tip is typically make sure you, um, at least if you're middle-aged, I should say again, that's different for younger people, but make sure you go out and, and sweat for 30 minutes, preferably even 45, but not longer. And a few times a week. And that is not because of your metabolism. You won't move the needle very much in that at all, but it will move uh, your hormones for your brain. It will make you feel good. It's not only the dopamine levels, but all the levels, the serotonin levels will go up. All of those things will be much better. And these are basic hints. And, um, and then uh, my last tip would be um, don't lie. Don't lie to others, but don't lie to yourself. Because the stress that people are carrying, and many people, we haven't talked about stress very much here, but it comes from living lies, I would say. I've experienced myself historically. I'm not doing that now, I hope. Um, but I see so many people around me doing that, lying to themselves, living in a job or in a relationship or whatever that they don't should be in. So there's also a lifestyle change that could be the most important thing you do more than, than diet, actually, is to stop um, doing things that you know is wrong for you. Mm. Yeah, that's a really that's a really profound tip in terms of you know we we sometimes it's hard to put that mirror to yourself and and mm. be truthful about you know okay that middle age spread is not mm. actually quite healthy. What do I need to do? You know to be able to eat twice a day and um, make sure that we get exercise. But having that honest conversation is is quite confronting. And as you said, people are lying to themselves about a whole range of things and unpacking that. And it's easy to say, though. I, I, I do appreciate that it's hard to, to get to that point. But at least um, 
I would say it started many people lie also to other people and I, I don't like that. And my, my, my main motto is never quit, never lie. And I've been quitting a few times, but I've definitely gone out of line. I think that this, uh, uh, if you lie to other people, typically comes back and bites you in the end. It but does. It will, you will be revealed secondly. Uh, um, well, I guess that's what happened to Boris Johnson, didn't it? <laughs> all politics. Yeah, no, no politics. All politics. All politics. Yes. Yes. But he wasn't having a party. It wasn't a party. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Anders. It's been a really a, a great conversation about um, being a, a tech, your tech innovator and producer, and you know, certainly really empowering consumers, critical consumers to, to take charge of their health and, you know, health and education. So we wish Diversify um, onwards and upwards and growth and, you know, yeah, good business. Yeah. Thank you. It was really a pleasure being here and having this conversation with you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, Jackie, now that you are obviously trained in using the ACE track, um, the breath analyzer, are you still going to sort of, you know, dabble with the blood ketones testing? Oh, yes. I'm still doing both. What I like about the ACE track is that you can do it at different times of the day, whereas when you're using a ketone blood strip, you know, that's quite expensive to do several times a day. And I have done it several times a day, you know, if I'm fasting or, yeah, particularly if I'm fasting, I might do one in the morning and then do one before I eat. Um, so, yes, I think I'd, I quite like the idea of both. And I do like the ACE track for different times of the day. I just have to keep remembering to do it because, I, you know, don't always think about it. The thing I find is that you get, two completely different readings so for me it's hard to you know I know he explained the difference but it's still understanding internally you know internalizing that difference to what does that mean to me and I'm not really sure yet I think and this is where I was saying before that we need to measure the impact and you know the the data points that we're collecting, the information that we're collecting gives us a picture. And that sort of picture, we need to know, well, for you, you were just saying, I need to know that piece of the puzzle, what does it represent? You know, that information, so the parts per million of the breath, the acetone versus the blood beta-hydroxybutyrate, what does that actually mean? And as we sort of have, you know, along our journey that, you know, beta-hydroxybutyrate, so the blood ketone has obviously been the one that everybody talks about and understands that, you know, with the blood glucose and the, the blood, you know, BHB, that's what we're measuring. Yeah. And it's a measure of oxidation. But the more we come to understand and obviously clearer from our, you know, medical technology engineering, you know, um, colleagues like Anders that you know he's saying that it's equally accessible we can collect this information it's easy it's not as expensive as using the strips but it gives you a different picture you know it's the same thing but different picture of your um, fat oxidation yeah and I think it's just understanding you can't compare you can't compare the two so for example um 
this morning on waking i did um the breath ketone no yeah the breath ketone and it came out at 1.1 millimoles per liter and and then since speaking with dorian he says take your blood ketones an hour after you wake up your glucose and your blood ketones an hour after you wake up so i did that just before we came online but that represents 0.4 so there's a big difference but you know i think chances are i'm still burning ketones so i have to work out yeah i just it's different it's same same but different it's just a different chemical but and this is where um you know dear listeners we you know the yin yang with jackie you know where i would interpret that Point four. Oh no, you know, the it's not just a data point. You know, for Jackie, she can disassociate herself and it's just point four. But for me, I really go into that sort of judgment, you know, that's bad. You know, I've done something wrong. You know, why am I not fat burning enough? You know, and then I go into that negative headspace and I become quite um yeah or quite emotionally judgmental and that's why I had so much difficulty with my actual weight or my gross tonnage as I used to say what is my gross tonnage on the scales so you you took yes you you make it bad for yourself why would you say gross tonnage well because it's a gross number it's not you know it's 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 the the gross the gross com you know the gross number yeah, on the scale, but that has a negative connotation. And as as you know, your mind will pick up on those words that you use, whether you use them out loud or internally. You have oh, to be careful yeah, with how you talk to yourself. I do, and I think that that sort of negative bias is something that I've sort of certainly raising raising consciousness about that. But you know, the point is that you you have a, a great skill in being able to say that's just a data point i'm just saying that whenever we're collecting this information and you're absolutely right it's the stories that we tell ourselves that creates the picture and using that in a positive way to um you know, make ourselves accountable to keep us on track to always be measuring the positive impacts and using the feedback loop to refine our techniques in a positive way unlike me and that negative bias story that I keep telling myself yes yeah and it's about making changes and and measure and see how those changes affect you that is it making it is it making the numbers better or worse or the same you know is there a difference that's what yeah. you need to know about yourself and how how you're going to use those numbers to make changes if you want right. to make changes and maybe you don't want to make changes but that's where i think that's the other thing is making and also using that sort of scientific um you know method is to make the one change and to measure the impact of one change at a time and not to make too many changes so you can actually sort of realize that that one one intervention is responsible for um you know the relationships correlationally, you know, causatively, those sorts of things. So what's the association of those numbers? Yeah. So the ACE track is not cheap in comparison to a blood ketone meter. However, well, 
However, however, I think, you know, the device, yes, that's right. So that's, yeah, it's a one-off cost as, as compared to maybe the device in some countries, it's um, a blood meter device can be quite inexpensive, but the ongoing cost of buying the strips is where the cost obviously mounts up. So, but Anders has been very generous and has given us a discount code, which is, can you remind me, Jackie? Yeah, it's £40 off um, with the discount code of fabulously keto, or one word. Which is really very generous. So thank you, Anders. And to get it, you need to go to um, getacetrack.com to get the discount. Yes. So um, the getacetrack.com, and that's actually then we'll be able to do the shipping. It only certain countries i can't remember if you reminded us about that yeah was it europe and the states yeah i don't think it i don't think it was australia just yet because it needs to be registered for the therapeutic goods administration yeah can you remind us where we can get the show notes for this episode jackie so show notes will be at fabulouslyketo.com forward slash podcast forward slash 103 we'll also put the link to the get acetrack.com in there as well so you just need to click on the link well you techno wizzo data collecting wizard person we should be expecting great things with all your numbers now thank you jackie <laughs> <laughs> i'd love to have great numbers we shall see well you're number one in my book jackie oh well, no actually this week you're number 103 <laughs> <laughs> It would be great if you could support us through Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash fabulously keto and you can choose the monthly amount you wish. Can you recommend a guest we can interview? If you can, click on the link in the show notes to send us your recommendation. Would you like to join our Facebook group? Search for Fabulously Keto on Facebook. Our Facebook page is called Fabulously Keto and you can follow us there. Or you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Fabulously Keto. Or follow us on Instagram, Fabulously Keto 1. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know you listened by tagging us in your Insta story or Instagram post using the handle Fabulously Keto 1 and the hashtag TFKP. All the links are on the website and in the show notes. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, click the subscribe button. Reviews help us to be found and reach new listeners. Please leave a review of our show on your preferred podcast listening platform. We appreciate you taking the time and read them all. Disclaimer. The information in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast can be taken as advice. Whether our guests are doctors, healthcare professionals or not, they're only sharing their own opinions and stories, and this does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. It's always best to seek professional medical advice should you wish to make any changes to your current medication or treatments. Also speak to your own doctor if you have any concerns about your health or you wish to make lifestyle changes, especially if you're taking medication.